If your favorite football team is going to stink this fall, as so many seem to think, not necessarily within the nation, but on the outside, then it stands to reason that more could still be done before they get going. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates where you found this. OTAs start Tuesday over on the south side. I'm looking forward to covering those. And OTAs, even though they're voluntary, and by the way, OTA stands for off-season training activity if you're new to football, they're seen by some as kind of a line of demarcation, as in, this is the team that we've got, this group that's showing up here, uh, at least the beginning of the group, because then it's got to get significantly pared down once you get to a full-blown training camp. But still in all, it's the group from which you're going to begin calling guys. And at the same time, there's room to add. According to the NFL Players Association numbers, the Steelers have roughly $12 million left in cap space. And that always sounds way higher than what the reality is. Uh, two reasons for that. One, you still have to pay the remainder of your rookie class, and one of those is Kenny Pickett. And the other is that at least under Kevin Colbert, the Steelers' preference was always to enter a season with $5 million kind of in the back pocket, just in case it was needed, just in case a player of a certain prominence at a certain position who could not conceivably be replaced from within would go down. You weren't handcuffed from making a move to the outside and bringing someone else in. Think like, say, for example, quarterback. Now, whether or not that policy is still going to be in place under Colbert's successor, and by the way, Brandon Hunt had his second interview yesterday, and he's still my guy for that, you're still not talking about some excess of cash here. You're still not talking about going out and adding some big high-priced guy, which is good because for the most part, the high-priced guys are gone. So what is the position that you're looking for on this team that you would feel the greatest urgency to address. And within that, would you prioritize yet another player being brought in who's younger than what you'd expect as a free agent in hopes that you're continuing to build up you know, a, a ramp, a runway, for a team to keep getting better over the next few years? Or would you just say, heck with it, I just want the best possible player at that role, regardless of the individual's age? I'm going to give you a couple of runners-up, if you will, in this category. Uh, positions that I'd like to see addressed, but won't be my number one. One of them remains the defensive line, and that is almost entirely because of the uncertain status of Stefan Tuitt. I happen to be of the belief that he's coming back. I hear occasionally from people that he's not. But I have a pretty rough time imagining Steph at age 29 calling it a career, regardless of the scope of the family tragedy. And I have an even harder time 
imagining Steph playing for somebody else after everything else that he's been through here. My other runner-up would be at outside linebacker. Of course, I'm not talking about starting positions. You're going to have T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith. But those guys rotate. T.J. rotates. T.J. has a certain rhythm to his rotation that he finds vital toward being at his best and being able to go, you know, the way he goes. So having someone else come in like that, that would be nice as well. But those aren't my top choice. This portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by Point Park University. Choose from nearly 100 career-focused programs leading to bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. Choose when and how you'd prefer to do that studying, whether it's at Point Park's gorgeous downtown Pittsburgh campus, whether it's online, maybe a flexible hybrid format would work best for you. Find out more about all of this at pointpark.edu. My preference for what I would do with the remainder of this cap money is to add another running back. And I'm not going to turn this episode into yet another Benny Snell bashing or Anthony McFarland bashing or wistful thinking about a UDFA who's coming into camp. And I understand there are a couple of intriguing names there. As is always the case, when you approach the end of the NFL's free agency pool, the bulk of the names that are left sitting there are running backs. We, as a society, have devalued the running back position to the point where soon they're going to be paying NFL teams to play them. But there they are, and there are names. And there's one name that really jumps out, and that's that of David Johnson. And I know 2016 was a long time ago. And what looked to be a superstar career when he first broke in with the Cardinals with the 2,000-plus all-purpose yards, 20 touchdowns, and dominating the highlights every night didn't exactly pan out that way. He is still seen as a significant talent. He's 30 years old, and you know and I know he's not going to cost even a song. Spot Track, the website that calculates and analyzes salary caps and payrolls across sports, estimates that Johnson would cost somebody around $1.4 million on a one-year deal. He most certainly would not get anything longer than a one-year deal. I would be very okay with this acquisition, at least knowing what it is that I know. You never know what NFL executives know about somebody, but Johnson comes with a spotless record and everything else meaning off the field, a good citizen. And given the way he's kind of fallen back a little bit in his roles over the last couple of years with the Texans, he's not going to be the kind who comes in and says, I'm taking Najee Harris's job or anything ridiculous like that, like what we saw from Melvin Ingram. What I like more is that you can also utilize Benny Snell toward whatever his perceived strengths happen to be as a running back. And I say perceived because I perceive that Mike Tomlin and Matt Canada think there's some good to be had there, while also keeping Snell as a very productive member of the kick coverage teams on special teams. 
bring in another running back. Add to that whole feeling that this offense is being rebuilt, but it's being rebuilt from the rock up. And the rock has to be, and it's had to be for two years now, a return of an efficient running game. It absolutely unequivocally has to start there. It won't be because Kenny Pickett and or Mitch Trubisky are just going to show up and wave magic wands and everything's going to be okay. They're going to be a big, big part of it, but nothing's going to take off unless it starts with the run. When we come back, just one question. for just one question and that's brought to you always on this program by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garvin, Kelly and George, LGKG. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents who need assistance with workers' comp and medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG have been designated super lawyers, capital S, capital L, for the past 15 years. And yes, that is a real thing. The super lawyer designation is reserved for the top 5% of all attorneys in Pennsylvania. Learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. And today's J1Q comes from Michael who says, DK, I've been looking at the Steelers offseason and one thing really stands out to me. They must have a ton of confidence in Dan Moore. And I know he started as a rookie, but they seem to be true believers. Are you hearing Anything in this regard, I'm starting to think he's their most important player to have a big jump going into year two. Well, Mike, your last assessment there that he needs to have a big jump going into year two would seem to suggest that you don't agree with the Steelers. But you asked me to characterize how the team feels about him. The team feels very strongly about Dan Moore at left tackle. And I understand that there were times last season where he got shown up, even blown up out there. I further understand that we won't really know how good slash bad a left tackle Moore is until he's working in front of a quarterback who isn't getting rid of the football in .00000007 seconds, as Ben Roethlisberger was. Ben hid so many warts on that awful offensive line that we will never truly appreciate how awful they were. But within that, how do you look, if you're the Steelers, at one guy, at the most important position in terms of protecting your quarterback's blind side and say, yeah, but he was okay. Well, the answer to that goes back to one thing that Tomlin talks about a lot, which is how a player performs on Sundays in stadiums. And sometimes you hear these things and they can kind of go in one ear and out the other because you've heard them so many times from him. But he believes in it. And he saw specific matchups that he liked, whether it was against Miles Garrett or others, 
on that side. And he, meaning Tomlin, put to Moore a direct challenge to go ahead and exceed everyone's expectations that afternoon. And when he did so, which he did, by the way, a couple of times, his stature grew over there. And undoubtedly, his confidence grew. When the coaches are giving you attaboys and everything else, and they're doing it right in front of everybody else, you know, you walk a little taller. You know, your shoulders are straight up. You're feeling good about yourself. You're thinking to yourself, all right, I've done this. What's my next level? Dan Moore, for anybody who hasn't paid close attention, and I can understand why you'd want to look away from that offensive line in general to even try to get to know anybody, but Dan Moore looks like an athletic left tackle should. He's not your uh, your Jonathan Ogden type. He's not your Andrew Whitworth type. Guys that are just absolute Goliaths, where for the most part, what they have to do is just stand there and exist. <laughs> Saying that with respect to both Ogden and Whitworth and anyone else in their category, but they see more as someone who can do that part of the job, you know, be that left tackle who just ensures the quarterback's safety, but also as being capable of moving. And that's something that we talk about a lot as it relates to the ideal version of the Matt Canada offense. He does want his offensive linemen moving. He wants them to be unpredictable to the defense. He wants them to be mobile enough that they can make plays happen in space on short throws. As for what it is that they really think, well, don't worry so much about what they think in any situation. Always watch what they do. And when you see them address as emphatically as they did, James Daniels, Mason Cole, really big contract. Chooks Okorafor, really big contract. Three years, $29.5 million. And you see that they didn't do anything to the left side of the line, not just more, but also leaving into competition in some form, some mix of Kevin Dotson, Kendrick Green, uh, John Leglu, who knows, the guys that we saw near the end of the year. If we do see another potential left tackle come in, and you always want to have some kind of backup, and I understand Chooks has that history, uh, but you really don't want to be moving him around too much at this stage of his career. You might see the team try to upgrade on Joe Haig, who currently is the swing backup tackle. But even then, you're still giving one heck of an endorsement to Moore because you're not utilizing whoever that person is or Haig or Chooks to be a threat some more on that left side. So yeah, short answer, they really like him. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Steelers all week long. We'll do another one of these on Monday. 